Welcome to the Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive, where you have access to all the amazing insights Dr. Finlayson Fife has shared through hundreds of interviews. I'm Mackenzie, Dr. Finlayson Fife's assistant, and we are so glad that you're here. I'm very honored to have her on. Her name is Jennifer Finlayson Fife. We're going to be talking all about infidelity, the myths surrounding infidelity. But before we dive in, I want Jennifer to go ahead and introduce herself, tell you a little bit about who she is. Go ahead, Jennifer, tell us about you. Sure. Uh, Well, I live in Chicago, Chicago area. I grew up in Vermont. I have a PhD in counseling psychology, and I do a lot of work specifically with LDS, Latter-day Saint couples and individuals, particularly around how to create more emotionally and sexually intimate relationships because I see this as so critical to living life joyfully and living life well. So I do a lot of instruction online and coaching on how to develop your capacity for intimacy in your life. Perfect. Thank you. So I want to share just a little bit about how I came to know Jennifer. I went to one of her retreats. She does retreats a couple a couple times a year, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you have one coming up. I think I saw yeah. one coming up. Um, it's mm-hmm. in Hillsboro, Oregon. And I went to that very retreat two years ago and it was amazing. I went away with my mind blown. So much to think about that I've gone back to again and again and again. And I can honestly say that a lot of what I learned from Jennifer has really shaped my philosophies, my methods, the way that I help my own clients. And mm. so you've been more influential than you know in, uh, in the work that I do. So That's wonderful. So thank you so much for being here. At the end of the show, I'll have Jennifer tell where you can find her, where you can learn about how to work with her, learn more from her. She has amazing courses, things like that. We'll talk about that at the end. But today we're going to dive right into infidelity. And um, we are, we're going to be covering today some of the things that, some of the misconceptions around infidelity that really get people hung up, can get in the way of the healing process. And Mm -hmm. so we're just going to dive in. Okay. So first of all, I want to ask you, Jennifer, with your experience, all of the people that you've worked with, how do you define infidelity? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's a little bit of a tricky question because I don't know that there is like a marker at exactly this point. It's now infidelity. But how I think about infidelity in interpersonal relationships is on some some level, and of course it can go from extreme to mild, of deception about your motivations, your behavior, and who you are. And it's a deception that's designed to keep the other person making choices that serve you. So you're withholding information that they would want in order to make decisions for themselves. So you're kind of stealing people's choices by withholding information about you and it allows you to exploit on some level. And that's different than necessarily adultery. I think adultery is specific. I mean, obviously adultery is infidelity, but adultery is one version of it, which is explicitly sexual behavior, but you can be unfaithful in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So, so in short, you would define it as like an intentional deception. Yes, exactly. I mean, you may do it, you may do it without even having to think about it. (laughs) So, but it is intentional. You know, not, you know, what information not to reveal. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Perfect. Okay. Thank you. Something I see sometimes is people kind of undermining themselves like, well, he hasn't done this and this and this, right. And undermining their yes. own experience with it. Yeah. And I like the way that you said it, like it, it, it's not so much about what the exact thing is, right. It's more mm-hmm. about the deception that is intentionally keeping you in the dark and how That's that right. affects the person. Right. That's right. That's right. And how it affects your ability to make good decisions for yourself if you're yes. the one who's been betrayed. Uh-huh. Yep. 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 Perfect. So what are some of the most common um, misconceptions you see around this topic of infidelity? Okay. I think that I have several. So let me just think of it. I mean, let me see if I can name them first and we can come back to them. Okay. One is making perhaps a a blurring between uh, trusting your partner and trustworthiness. And I can say more what I mean about that. Another is blurring the issue of forgiveness and trust, which are two different things. And I think the other is that the solution lies in trusting your spouse rather than becoming more discerning around trustworthiness and being more awake if you're the one that's betrayed, right? So a lot of times you're looking for the betraying partner to answer that question for you. And there's often work that the one who is betrayed needs to do for himself or herself to be more capable of an intimate relationship. And I can say what I mean about all those things. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that come to mind. There may be more. Yeah. There may be more. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's go back to the difference between trusting your partner, the responsibility of, of being trustworthy. Tell us more yeah. about that. Well, a lot of times what happens in couples is when it's been become exposed or revealed that one has betrayed the shared, even if implicit, contract mm-hmm. of the marriage, of the partnership that the focus gets on trusting the one who was untrustworthy. So the betraying partner is like, do you trust me? Do you, when are you going to ever trust me? It's kind of like, as soon as you stop questioning me, then we're going to be good. And there's often that idea rather than whether or not the betraying partner has really confronted who they are and become a more honest person a more trustworthy person. You know, it's easier to be like, when are you going to get over your hurt and pain and, and, and not see me as the worst person as opposed to, you know, my spouse is going to have their reaction to this and they're going to have their own crisis. Who am I? And am I going to deal with who I have become or how I've operated in this marriage? And am I going to address myself? Mm -hmm. And that's, easy to get away from if you don't want to deal with who you are and you want to instead just get your the reflected sense of self managed to get your spouse to see you like they used to look at you. (laughs) And so that's an easy focus, but it's a wrong headed one. And then I think it's similar that the person who's betrayed is often saying, I don't trust, I don't trust, kind of like it's um, a character flaw on their part sometimes rather than, well, you might have very good reasons for not trusting and trusting right now would be a bad idea (laughs) because your spouse has just exposed that they're willing to lie to you. They're willing to deceive you. 
And that's something you need to integrate into your map of who your partner is. Yeah. And that doesn't mean your spouse isn't capable of changing or addressing herself or himself, but that's something that you want to, this issue of trust is not a virtue. Trustworthiness is. And there's also a distinction to be made between having confidence in another person and their capacity to grow and change versus trusting them, right? Trusting them is, I see that you are living up to what you say. So you can love somebody and care about them, but still not trust them Mm -hmm. because they aren't being, their behavior and what they say about their behavior do not align. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. And and you can ask for any clarification. I know I'm sort of saying a lot there. So if there's anything, yeah. Perfect. So something I see a lot is this, I'm sure you see this all the time too, is like on the the side of the, you know, betrayer for lack of a better Mm -hmm. word. The betrayer is like wanting mm-hmm. to put the burden on the other person of, yes. of well, why can't you just trust me? Yes. Why are you going to stop asking me? Right. You know? And then I work, I work with, with the women um, mm-hmm. for the most part. I actually have a couple of male clients, but mostly with women. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go into this sense of, you know, is there something wrong with me that I don't mm-hmm. know? settle but then they feel mm-hmm. guilty for wanting mm-hmm. to know more right what would you like speaking mm-hmm. to both parties in the relationship sure for so for the person so what i would say is that often in infidelity these are often two people who are operating from a reflected sense of self most of humanity is okay so look everyone's in good company here but but often that's the issue that's playing itself out in the marriage so What I mean by that is often the person that goes to another partner while married is angry about the validation they don't get from their spouse, either emotional or sexual, and they find somebody else with whom they can get this kind of cheap, albeit cheap validation, but they can get that approval, that desire, that acknowledgement from. And, you know, in defense of somebody who does that, it is very hard and painful to be in a marriage where you don't feel like you are acknowledged or understood or received. And so it can certainly be a tempting idea that you're going to get it elsewhere, mm-hmm. something that you really want, right? And so so oftentimes when a person is unfaithful or goes and gets that sort of external validation, when the marriage comes into crisis, it's easy for them to go and want that same reflected sense of self now from their marriage partner and now it's harder than ever to get. On the other other side, the person that's been betrayed is also often operating from this reflected sense of self. And they are, the question is, um, often a part of it is their anger and all of that, but also, is it me? Was it about me? And is the issue that I'm not enough? Is it that I wasn't fulfilling you? And so, I think it's always worthy to look at your role in a marriage dynamic, which is different than saying anyone's ever responsible for their spouse's behavior, because we are always ultimately responsible for the choices that we make. But we may be part of a context in which a spouse made a decision. And so there is this balance of what is my puncture to my sense of self, and I'm actually taking on way more than is in fact mine and not in a valuable way? And is there something here that my conscience knows I need to address or deal with about 
the role I played in the bad marriage that has now gone into crisis. And, and that's a different question. That's about taking responsibility for yourself in an honest way, not out of a desire to have control over what you don't have control over. There's plenty of perfectly desirable partners whose spouses still cheat on them, right? So it's it doesn't mean, oh, I brought this on myself. But is there something I do need to deal with? And is this coming from the best in me? Or is it coming from my just desire or, or fear that I'm just basically insufficient and this is the evidence. When you're in that fear, it can be, again, there's a distinction between I want to know what happened because I want to know who I'm married to and I want to know how he or she made the choices that they made because it's a way of mapping who they are versus, you know, was she prettier than me? Well, you know, that's more of this reflected sense of self and there's kind of no solution in it right you're you can't compete with an affair partner because an affair partner isn't real life (laughs) and so to try to compete with it is in a way to well set yourself up to feel insufficient nor should you compete with it (laughs) it's not it's not real life it's it's valid it's a validation seeking context that's devoid of the realities of real life, of the flaws, of having to negotiate together, of having to collaborate together. And so it's like an escape hatch or a kind of loophole in the system, or at least one that one can imagine will be that. Yep. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. So, so, I mean, when we think of infidelity, just infidelity, it has a negative connotation, right? There are assumptions about it. And you hear people, oh, if my if my spouse ever did this and this, mm-hmm. I, would, I, would, yeah. I would be mm-hmm. out, right? Mm-hmm. For, for, and, you know, part of the reason why I am doing what I'm doing is because I had my own experience um, mm-hmm. in, in my first marriage and, and learned a lot. And I, what I learned, one of the things that I learned and one of the things that I see all the time is that it's not as simple as it sounds. Right. Exactly. That, that and and another huge piece that I want to ask you about is, I think that we have this notion that people who participate, right, who participate mm-hmm. in various forms of infidelity, are are just bad or weak. Um, I want to hear your take on that. What do you think? Yeah. No. For, well, first of all, we have big reactions to infidelity. We do both because if we are the one betrayed, how hurtful that would be. But also in part, maybe because we distrust ourselves a bit or we acknowledge we could be tempted, right? So, so you know, society has big reactions to infidelity, but lots of people are unfaithful. And it comes back to this reflected sense of self issue. Marriage is, you know, a lot of us get married with the idea that we're locking somebody in who's going to just sit around and say how lucky they are, Okay. <laughs> And there might be one person out there who's had that, but I mean, for the rest of us, (laughs) you know, it can be one insult after another in terms of just like waking up to yourself in a marriage and kind of what it's not going to provide for you in many respects. And so that's not an easy process. And how honestly one handles that, how willing one is to confront themselves, well, it takes tremendous courage. And on the other hand, your sexuality does not shut off when you get married. You continue to have sexual feelings that may not all be directed at your spouse. You continue to be attractive to others. And so you are making a decision regularly around fidelity. 
It's yeah. not like a one-time decision. It's a consistent and regular decision. And when you can get that easy validation and you're in a conflict with your spouse at home, okay, well, not only does it just feel good, but there's also your, some biochemistry that's at work there too. You know, like when you fall in love, the dopamine and, and you know, when you first fell in love with your spouse, you just are like, I'm going to be happy forever. Like everything is amazing. The sky is bluer. Everything's funnier. <laughs> well, you can have those feelings with a coworker, right? And it's distorting of judgment. It feels extraordinarily hopeful. Uh, you come home and then your spouse is like, why are you late? Where were you? What about the kids? You know, <laughs> you come home to a variety of criticisms often that are deserved, but nonetheless don't feel good. <laughs> okay. So, uh, you know, I guess my point is I don't have a simple-minded judgment about it personally because there's real forces on our sort of natural man response in life to pressure for infidelity. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, true monogamy is a courageous reality and can offer enormous benefit if you bring your best self and are partnered with someone who brings their most courageous self. Mm -hmm. I mean, however, for, you know, the normal human experience, there's a lot to push you away from it. And a lot of people want the security of a marriage. They don't want their spouse to be unfaithful but they want to have the validation outside plus the security. <laughs> and a lot of people are trying to negotiate that through dishonesty. Perfectly said. Thank you. Yeah. I think that you're right. Like just noticing all of the different, even the normalizing of certain behaviors in, in the culture that we live in can be a pull. Um, yes right? Some of the, the things in society that are deemed as acceptable, normal, and how they can play on our, our desire, right? Yes. Our desire for validation for all those, all of those things that we're wired for. That's right. That's right. And I think just one more thought as you're saying that, you know, I think especially in religious culture, there's a lot of focus on who you should be on responsibility on keeping your sexuality kind of tamped down and that the good people are the dutiful ones. Well, that's true. I mean, responsibility matters and living in, in um, ways that serve others matters. But oftentimes the way we're enculturated is so heavy handed that there's no sense of freedom. And sexuality is very much linked to a sense of freedom. So oftentimes couples collude in a marriage that's devoid of freedom and of playfulness because it's so entrapped by shoulds and responsibility and dutifulness and how you look in the community. And there's no play, freedom, joy, belonging to yourself. You kind of feel like you've given your life over to every other responsibility. An affair partner can hold the idea of freedom. Mm -hmm. freedom from that responsibility, freedom to be yourself, because you can be freer with them because you may never see them again. And you don't have a mortgage and kids with them. And so it's an immature version and an immature split. And by immature, I'm not trying to insult. I'm saying quite literally developmentally, if you haven't learned how to really be yourself and be in your marriage, this will feel tempting because the affair gives the promise of freedom. And we all we want to be responsible. But we want to be free too. We don't want to feel like our life is shackled by demands from everyone else. 
And so that's often a part of the, the complicit marriage is one in which it sort of looks good, but there's no room for realness there. And that makes infidelity or resentment highly likely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So marriages where maybe you check all the boxes of, you know, all the things, right? Yeah. Remembering dates and coming home for dinner on time and all the different things while yeah. lacking actual intimacy, right? Yeah. Joy. Intimacy and passion and yeah. aliveness, mm-hmm. something that we all really want. And, you know, often because we want security also, we will trade out that real sense of choice and intimacy for a role-based marriage, mm-hmm. a safe marriage. Even I work with people who kind of were complicit in a low sexuality marriage mm-hmm. because they wanted something that felt safer and familial, you know, yeah. and dutiful because it would allow them in a way to get away from a part of themselves they're afraid of. But again, then an affair seems to hold the key to something you've shut down, but almost invariably will blow up your life. I mean, if there's anything that's been an insurance policy for me <laughs> against having an affair is seeing what happens for people because it's it's so costly. Yep. I want to backtrack to something you just said about you know, using certain behaviors to hide from ourselves, right? So you're yes. in the context about sexuality and marriage. And I, I've, I've worked with a lot of women who, um, you know, they're often in childbearing years, right? Where their bodies are physiologically doing different things than they yes. were, you know, when they first got married. Yes. And, and sometimes the, the partner involved will use that as well, you have changed you this and that you this and that now right but I want to hear like for the for the women how do we sometimes use our own sexuality to hide Mm -hmm. yeah for sure well some men make that easy I will say that (laughs) and um, if you've grown up in a very patriarchal family or faith or way of thinking it can be easy to use dutifulness to mask who you are in part because you don't trust that you will be loved, that you will be chosen, right? That you will be actually related to as an equal human being. Yeah. So while there's messaging often in sort of patriarchal institutions that women sexuality exists for men's sake, that women can hide even from themselves their own awareness of their sexuality, of their desire, of their authenticity, of their deep sensual nature, really, because it feels unwise to get in touch with that, right? In a system that's afraid of it, mm-hmm. in a system that if I just reinforce the man, make sure he provides for me economically, I can then have the babies that I value having, and I can just keep this from getting anywhere dangerous. And that's a very easy, instinctive move to make even though it's unwittingly Mm self-betraying and complicit in a system in which you don't thrive. So, you know, the retreat that you went to, the Art of Desire course and so on, is very much about waking people up to that system and their unwitting complicity in it. Because, now bring me back to your question, what do I say to women who, who, how they hide, right? So there can be this 
and when I say unwitting, I mean, you like literally kind of get inducted and you're just doing it, even though something feels off inside you, something feels dead inside, something feels like you are resentful, but you can't quite figure out why, mm -hmm. because you should be happy, but you aren't in order to really be treated like an equal, you have to operate like an equal. And in order to really operate like an equal, it requires exposure and it requires strength. And to have both is to claim your sexuality. Mm -hmm. Now, by claiming your sexuality, I mean that you are at peace with yourself, your femininity, your femaleness, your embodiment, your that you are not trying to be something for someone else or be what the system says you should be, but that you are at peace with the gift of your sexuality and the gift of your embodiment and the gift of who you are, whoever that is and however that's expressed, and that you start being true to that, not to bulldoze other people, but you're true to yourself to bring who you genuinely are to your interpersonal relationships, living your life, living it honestly, not living for other people's approval, living for your own approval in a context of relationships. And, and that sounds selfish to people, and I don't mean it in a simple-minded way. I mean that you live up to your best self and that you expect yourself to love as well as you would be loved, that you are accepting of your sexuality and your imperfectness as much as you would expect a loving partner to do the same towards you, right? And so that takes a lot more courage than to sit around and just resent our spouse for the love we don't get mm -hmm. and the love they don't offer us rather than who am I really in this marriage and how am I even in relationship to myself? Yes. So something that, that I think can be an obstacle that I would love for you to speak about here is in particular with, with sexual infidelity, with that particular brand of infidelity. Mm. I think, um, for some women who are trying to do this work, right? Do this work of, of really seeing themselves, right? Knowing themselves mm -hmm. and that courageous, courageous work of, it, it feels so risky, right? Like mm. it feels so risky. Like I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to be seen. I'm going to That's right. be seen. And so I can see how, and I, I'm going to ask you this, like, how would you encourage women who are doing this work, who have been, who have been hurt in that very way, like in a, in mm -hmm. the yeah. where, right. where the message that they're receiving is you were not quite enough in this way. That's yes. how they're interpreting it, but they have this sincere, honest desire to develop. In, how would you well, I have a couple, maybe three ways of thinking about that. Uh, one is that to see weakness for weakness, so it hurts when someone rejects you, but if they've rejected you out of their own weakness, out of their own limited self, out of their own, you know, indulgence, yeah. right? Why would I, and again, I'm saying this like it's super rational. I understand that you have to work with your emotional self that's just like can easily kind of fall into the invalidation. So I'm not saying it like, hey, you know, don't be an idiot here. <laughs> I understand that it's hard to not uh, accept sometimes the low opinion someone seems to have of us. But I think that why would I turn judgment about who I am over to somebody who's self-absorbed enough or limited enough in their development that this is the choice they would make? 
So if I'm going to turn the question of who I am over to anyone, do it to a wise, sound person who really can see me. Now, that may be God, that might be a helpful friend, that might be a good counselor or coach. So, you know, you want to be thoughtful about if someone has thought ill of me, what was driving their thinking? And if it is a wise person Mm -hmm. who is offering some invalidation, then what is it that I do need to look at in myself for me to be more at peace with myself, not to earn favor with others, but with myself to be more in line with my best self and to be more at peace with who I am. So it's an opportunity when you don't get the validation you want, as hard as that is, it is an opportunity to grow out of such a dependency on it. That's the one gift in it. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, questioning the source of that invalidation, looking at, is there a pattern of seeing myself poorly? Did I grow up in a family where I was often treated as as a lesser a lot of times affairs happen that the one who's in the one-up position is the one that goes and has the affair often. It's not always that way, but they sort of see themselves as superior. They see themselves as entitled. And the betrayed often grew up in a family where he or she was treated as less than. And so they go and replicate the pattern by marrying somebody who thinks they're better than and more entitled. So it can often come and like puncture the very wound that allowed them to be in that dynamic in the first place. Again, it's like learning how to swim by getting flung into the deep end, okay? And it's not easy, but it's also when I see people often kind of go for their kind of strength because they're gonna drown otherwise. And so a lot of times in crisis is when the brain is most flexible and most able to find something they didn't even know was there for themselves and to find an inner confidence and an inner dependency, um, not so externally focused. And I think your view of God, if it's evolved enough, you know, to be, a, oh, I had one other thought. So to, to rely on an understanding of God in which God is on your side, meaning God wants your strength, wants your capacity. You need to be careful that it's not a misogynistic God or a cruel God, because a lot of times people interpret a God from their own family of origin. And so their experience of their notion of God is not particularly helpful. You know, there are a lot of untrustworthy people. There are people that do indecent things, but don't let one indecent person define all men or all women. Don't let one indecent person become like the measure of what's possible in human relationships. And while you want to be awake to that and you want to know it's real, right? And you want to think about how do I get hooked into people like that? You don't want that to define all possibilities. Mm -hmm. And one way to do that is by being awake and trusting your own judgment more, but also by becoming a more trustworthy person yourself. That is, You know, when sometimes people say, I don't believe in love, well, it says something about how they've been treated and what's happened to them. And they they come by that honestly often, but it also says something about themselves. They don't believe in love because they also do not love. And so they are in a system of use. People use each other. You know, people try to extract something for themselves from each other. But if I want to live differently than that, I need to also grow out of that system as well. 
mm-hmm. and grow into a person capable of loving myself and loving others because I will then attract somebody who will operate in the same frame with me. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, I have two two questions. Mm-hmm. One one thing that I hear a lot and that I really, really grappled with a lot, struggled with this a lot is how did I miss it? How did I not know? Yes. How did I not know? And that can undermine yes. your own trust in yourself. Moving Absolutely. Forward, right. I'd yep. love to hear your thoughts on that. Yes. Yeah, extremely important question because that's the issue of you're not just in crisis with your spouse's trustworthiness, but you're in crisis with your own yes. trustworthiness. Like, do I, am I able to keep myself safe? Yep. Because a lot of times this is kind of going back to the other stuff. We're looking for others to make us safe. It's the wrong idea because, and especially people that aren't making you safe, you don't want to look to them to make you safe. You need to know that I can navigate a world that is not safe. (laughs) And the way that you get better at that is by getting wiser Mm -hmm. and more awake. So the question of how was I asleep at the switch? How did I not see it? Again, you want to do this from the best in you, not the worst in you, not like, oh, I deserved it because I was so clueless, not that. But what were the signals that I pushed away? Okay, first of all, was this person just so sociopathic? Right. That I really, that that I got to have some compassion for myself, right? But if I was partnered with somebody that's sociopathic, like why? What was it that I thought they were going to give me? What was the thing that I thought I was going to get by being in connection? What seduced me about them? And that's a very, very important question, because often you're trying to answer something about yourself by offering over trust that isn't deserved. And the more you can see that vulnerability in you, the more awake you can be to not do it again or not repeat it. And, And then often the questions of what were signals or, you know, sometimes I see people when they actually find out their spouse was unfaithful, they they feel some strange relief because they're like, I kept thinking I was crazy. I kept like pushing that signal away. And then I would be like, don't be so jealous. And they would rather have seen themselves as flawed than actually trusting their own instincts and their own perceptions. So learning to not push those away so readily and to ferret them out. You know, I mean, I, how to say it, like, I would never be in a marriage where I'm just like, hundred percent. And I'm never asking any questions yeah. like, because I think a good way to be in marriage is you're, you're just tracking, do things always line up? Yeah. And if they don't, you would go towards that misalignment right away to understand yourself or your spouse. Mm-hmm. That's a part of being in a collaborative partnership. Yeah. I think that, I mean, I can speak for myself here with, with mm. myself is that there were things I did not want to see. Because yes. I had to do something about it that terrified me. Like yes. so threatening and so scary that it was easier. Right. To just look away to, oh, yep. Andrea, you just, you know, probably yep. it up. like really like going blind, right. just going blind. Yeah, absolutely. And so, That's right. yeah, I, I think that, yeah, what, whatever choice, which this will lead, this is going to lead me to my next question, whatever choice of, of staying or leaving, right? Like, do mm-hmm. I stay? Do I leave? Like this work of coming awake, right? Seeing, yes. really seeing. That's right. Right. Like, like deeply I, inform that choice. That's yes, right. Exactly. That's right. Yes. Which takes me to my my next question. Okay, this is sure. that people want to know and like feel really pulled about. Is is it possible 
to have a great marriage after infidelity? Can it really be done? Can it really be done? It is possible, but I would say it's rare. And the reason why it's rare is not because uh, once broken, it can never be repaired and you just duct tape it back together kind of thing. You know, it's whether or not a couple and, and Esther Perel talks about this, the sort of differences in, in how people handle infidelity. But, you know, is this a couple that's both going to use the crisis to confront themselves yep. and to grow themselves into people more capable of trust? for themselves and with the other trustworthiness with the other and grow themselves into people more capable of living honestly and intimately. So if that's a crisis that allows you to become more solid as a person, a couple can grow out of it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes one person will do it and the other will not do it. Oftentimes nobody wants to do it and just continue to be a victim of their spouse rather than looking at what they can learn from the crisis mm -hmm. and what they need to address in themselves. When you have two people that are willing to do that, I don't mean to say that it's easy or like, yeah. but, but the couple creates a narrative ultimately that this was a crisis this, that gave us what we have now and that uh, they can honestly account for it. There's not pretense and they see it as when they kind of came into their better self mm -hmm. is through that loss and through that, you know, a lot of times we're doing things in the world that we can't see until the world acts back on us in a crisis. And then we see ourselves better. And as painful as that is, it's a gift or it's a potential gift if you use it to really evolve into someone more solid and stronger. Yep. So yep. it's when couples do that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. I actually did a podcast several episodes ago. I talked about Esther Perel and her, her talking, if I'm remembering the words, it was like the, the explorers, I want to say like that, mm -hmm. that are willing to go and create something new. Like that was yeah. marriage number one. This is a completely different marriage and that it's all right. about both of you, the both of you being willing to do your work to build something far more right. honest than ever was before, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yes. A, a simple way that I that I like to think about this and you know the this false concept of thinking if I just leave, then it'll be better, right? Like, right. If I just leave, I'll be I'll be better. And right. I think that I've learned I've learned this from from one of my um, mentors and she's a therapist and coach. Her name's Amy Gianni and she explains it this way of taking two balls of yarn and we collude, right? And we get set into this tangled mess. Can't see whose is whose, right? Can't see it. We have this false notion that, well, if I just leave, just walk away, then everything will be fine. And it's right. e it's easy to be tempted by that, right? Like, I'll be fine. I'll heal. I won't have to be around this person all the time. But what I've learned from Amy is like the real work is like unraveling your side, right? right. Like, like disentangling yes. and pulling yourself apart. And if both partners are willing to do that, you can come back together and create something stronger, stronger and beautiful and yeah. intentional, right? Yes, no, absolutely. So if we don't use crisis to see ourselves more clearly, we're doomed to repeat it. Yes. It's just because we know how to relate in that way. And if we think, oh, it's just the wrong person, you're, you're setting yourself up to get the wrong person to attach to you again. <laughs> yes. And, and, you know, people, people are good at knowing the vulnerabilities 
of their spouse or their partner, and they know how to exploit those vulnerabilities to stay blind to themselves, right? So when you were talking about your own crisis and how you're kind of waking up to yourself, you know, it's very easy to have the unfaithful spouse keep pushing on those vulnerabilities to keep you in this self-doubting, questioning place because it keeps them in a kind of control. And so if you don't see those and get stronger, you're kind of open season yeah. for another person that would do that. Exactly. It, it comes with you, right? And yes. So, and that's where when people say to me, well, you know, how is it fair that I am working so hard? I'm doing all this work and I don't see them. And I just, I believe this to my core. There is no downside to this work. There's no yeah. downside because right. you do this work and you get to bring it with you. Stay married or not is actually in my humble opinion, yeah. relevant to yeah, I agree. That's how I see it. that this work that no one takes from you, right? It's that's right. You get to keep it, right? Because that my goal in working with couples, and you know, I think of working with couples as not about trying to force a marriage to stay together, but using the experience of the couple to understand and develop the individual, mm-hmm. because. I want people to be bringing their best selves to their lives because it helps them to either create a good marriage or leave a bad one. (laughs) They need that strength to do it, to do either. Yes. Mm -hmm. So we're running out of time, but I have one more question that will be really helpful for for my listeners. And this is around around triggers, managing triggers as they are moving through this growth, right? They're moving through it and- out of nowhere, right? A song yeah. will come on or whatever. Yeah. How do you help your, your clients manage triggers? Yeah. Well, I have what may seem like an uncompassionate response to it, which is we kind of live in a culture currently where avoidance of triggers is the way to be safe. Yes. And the problem is it keeps you weak. First of all, the world is not going to be safe and it's not going to provide safety for you. And who exactly is the entity that's going to provide that safety? You need to be strong enough to live in a fractured world mm-hmm. and a world that will upset you at times. And so the way I think about triggers is, you know, you deserve compassion for the fact that something is overwhelming, something ha- creates and pressures regression in you. And that that's real. Okay. So I'm not in any way suggesting that's not real and that it's not really hard, but the best way is to keep subjecting yourself to what is hard to develop your capacity to handle it. So if there's a song on the radio that reminds you of when your spouse had the affair, I would say, if you don't want to be triggered anymore, keep listening to it (laughs) over and over. And you could be reading a mantra about I'm worthy. I matter. I did not deserve it. I mean, you can bring your mind to its higher self. Mm -hmm. You can also do it. And I strongly recommend it. Do it in doses. Like, okay, I'm not going to just turn this off and cry. I'm going to see if I can turn it off and pull for my stronger self. But I'm going to get in a copy of that recording because I'm not going to live in my life afraid of my partner's bad choices and afraid of indulgent things people do. And as much as it hurts, I'm going to master this Uh because I owe that to myself. So it's not done out of, I'm so bad because I'm triggered, not that, but that I don't want to live my life reactively. And I'm going to, my, my, I can handle hard things. And so I'm going to, in a wise way, subject myself to what's hard until I've developed the the capacity. That's so powerful. Such a powerful, powerful place to come from. 
right? Yes, backing away, ducking away, just like we're going in. Let's do that's right. Right. That's right. And people coming out of trauma in their marriages, trauma in childhood. That's a very similar path. And again, not minimizing what some people are up against. Sure. But it's about not that I should develop my sexuality because then my spouse will like me, but not that, but do I want to claim it for me, claim my strength, claim it back from the abusive person. and, And so I'm going towards this hard thing where I get reactive because I'm doing it for my own capacity. It also channels the courage. It channels the risk how to say it channels your ability to cope much better because the meaning of it is about your strength and your freedom. Ah, yes. Instead mm-hmm. of a, weak, a kind of a weak standpoint of I need to be afraid and dodge the bullets and yes, cover, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's so powerful. I love that. Thank you so much. I wish we had all the time in the world. I I've enjoyed this conversation so much. I know that it will help a lot of people. Great. Uh, touched on so many important things. So thank you so much. Um, You're welcome, Andrew. I admire your work so much and just kind of want to be when I grow up. I just love you so much. <laughs> thank you. You've been You're so a, kind. a real force for good for me and um, for me personally. And I know that others in my audience will, will love to learn more about you. So could you tell them where they can find you? Sure. So my website is just my slightly complicated name, which is finlaysonfife.com. And there's a hyphen between Finlayson and Fife. So finlaysonfife.com. And on there, you can find my podcast archive, which is interviews like this that I've done with a variety of people on a variety of topics from spirituality to sexuality to intimacy and fidelity, all of that. And then I also have online courses that are there. You know, I, I did these courses with an LDS audience in mind, but they're really applicable to anyone, just like this podcast, applicable to anyone that wants to develop their capacity for more emotional and sexual intimacy. So I have individual courses of self and sexual development for men and women, and then couples courses. And then I am also just about to start my own podcast called Room for Two, and I'll be doing coaching with couples anonymously but a lot of the principles and ideas that you hear me talk about in my podcast archive, you then can see me kind of putting into action in a couple's coaching session to help them see where they're self-betraying or not being fair to their partner and, and so on. So that's going to be available in the fall. I'm so excited about that. Yeah. Awesome. Can't yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for your time and for your expertise. and. I just appreciate it so much. So thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and found this information helpful, we ask that you rate, review, and share the podcast so that more people can find and benefit from it. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, follow the link in the show notes below to find more information about her online courses upcoming events, and her free Facebook group.